I'd like you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 37. This is a passage that we ended with this, la- this last week, and I'm going to pick up again uh, here this morning and kind of continue. We're in a series called Summer in the Spirit. We're pre- preaching on the Holy Spirit, sharing about the Spirit of God, different aspects, and we're kind of going... Uh, I don't want to say slow, but we're certainly not going fast. We're, we're just wanting to cover our bases and really, really follow the voice of the Spirit. There's so many things we could touch on. Uh, but I'm just trying to be sensitive uh, to what the Lord wants to do. And so I, I thank you for staying with me on it. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37, we're going to be, read through verse 39. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit already experienced in this place this morning. God, we ask that your holy presence would manifest as you promised that you would guide us into all truth. God, give us open ears to hear your word. And God, I pray with the agreement of your people that you would anoint my lips and tongue that I would speak only that word that you've appointed for North Lake Church this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, praise God. So this is the culmination of this passage wherein uh, the day of Pentecost has come, uh, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples, uh, that chapter 1 tells us numbered about 120 in those days, the Holy Spirit comes, is poured out, the disciples uh, receive that gift, they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance, Uh, the mousy, cowardly Simon Peter uh, who uh, denied the Lord on the night he was betrayed it now turns into a roaring lion filled with the boldness of God gets up, preaches the gospel there to uh, Jews that are from all the nations of, of the world at that time they're convicted and this is their response and Peter's directive to them so uh, they, they're, they're convicted. They, it says they're, they're, uh, they're cut to the heart. They receive this conviction. And they say, what should we do? Boy, that is the absolute dream of every evangelist. I want to go to know Jesus, but I don't know how to do it. I'll tell you. I'm so glad you asked. I've had that happen to me a few times. And this is what happens on the day of Pentecost. And Peter says to them, and this is what I want to focus on today, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit and he says this promise is for you. So he's talking about the the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. Now there are some key words that are obvious here but I want to focus in on them. Number one, he says repent. That's the first thing he says, is repent. Repentance, contrary to popular belief, 
is not contained entirely in feelings, feeling sorry for your sin. That is part of it, but repentance has to do with a choice to take a different path and to take concrete moves in doing it. It's not just in feeling guilty. Listen, on the night uh, Jesus was betrayed, it wasn't, it, it talks about Peter, I already mentioned that, Peter went out and it says he wept bitterly, but he wasn't the one who felt most sorry. The one who felt most sorry was whom? Who, who felt most sorry? It was Judas Iscariot who felt most sorry. But Judas didn't repent. He despaired and he died. So it's not just about be, feeling sorry. It's about taking a different it's take, taking a different path. So repentance. And then he says be baptized. Now, baptism, there's all sorts of stuff that's wrapped up in baptism, but looking at the barest, simplest understanding of it, it's ceremonial washing. That's what it is. It's a washing. It's a cleansing. And then he says do these things for the forgiveness of sins, that your sins would be cleansed away, washed away. So repent, wash, receive forgiveness and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to focus in on something else that's pretty obvious. We're so used to just saying his name, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that we forget kind of an obvious point. God is God is God is God. He goes by many, many names. And through those names, we get reflections and we come to know him. But I want to tell you, of all the things that he chose to call his spirit, the spirit of the living God, he could have said he could have called him the spirit of power. He could have called uh, he could have called himself the spirit of love. He could have called himself he could have called him he could have chosen any number of descriptors to choose to name himself. And there are different times where it talks about the spirit of grace. Uh, there are different things, but primarily he chose to call himself. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So you put all these things together. Repentance, washing, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit. And you get a pretty clear sense. This is right out of the blocks. This is the answer to what they say. All, he, all that happened, all that Peter preaches, they say, what should we do? And the first thing Peter talks about is holiness. He talks about the holiness of God. Holiness is something that we need to recognize is front and center when it comes to receiving the Spirit of God. I'm going to say that again. Holiness is a front burner issue when it comes to receiving the Spirit of God. I'm going to talk later in the series more about some of the specifics of the receiving of the Holy Spirit, especially in our world today that has become so hard, so cynical, so tech, technological, and, and, and so kind of wrapped up in things and distractions that I think very often impede us and hinder us from receiving the Spirit of God that Jesus paid for by His blood. But essential... Before we talk about any of those, I don't want to call them strategies, more tactics or, or ways to posture ourselves, put ourselves in a position to receive the Spirit of God, we have to talk about holiness. How many want to receive all that God has for you? 
from his Holy Spirit. Amen? All. We want, we want it all. That is not, I'm telling you, God doesn't want you to be greedy for gain. He doesn't want you to be greedy for fame. He doesn't want you to be greedy. He doesn't even want us to be greedy for food. But he does want us to be greedy, quote unquote, for the things of God. He wants us to burn with a consuming desire and fire for all that God has for us, right? So if we want that, if that's true of us, and we want that to be true of us, holiness is going to be important to us, just like it was to Peter, and just like it was to his hearers on the day of Pentecost. Now, why is holiness so important? Well, holiness, very simply, is God's defining nature. It's his defining attribute. It's his identity. That's why it's in his name. It's in his name. How many have heard, oh God, we praise your holy name. Holiness is his defining attribute. When you have the, uh, when you have the vision of Isaiah in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, his call, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He's, he's enthroned. His train fills the temple. And the seraphim are flying above him. And what are the seraphim crying out and calling to each other? Holy, holy, holy. When the apostle John has his vision, he's caught up to heaven. He sees a door open in heaven. He goes into the, into the presence of God and he sees the four living creatures. He sees the 24 elders. And surrounding them as they praise, it says, there are myriads of myriads of angels. You know what that literally means? Billions and trillions. And all of them are saying, holy, holy, holy. It's God's defining characteristic and attribute and personality. Now what is holiness? What is holiness? This is almost like a circular thing. There's a truth in that circular thing where you're like, well, who, who's God? Who's God? Well, he's holy. He's holy. Well, what does holy mean? Well, that, that's God. That's who God is. Well, who's God? Well, he's holy. It's kind of this circle. And we get caught in that. It's kind of like that, one of those little sideways eights, the Mobius strip. It just goes forever. You're kind of forever in that loop. But, but really what we're talking about is God's exalted purity, his absolute purity, his absolute righteousness, goodness, wisdom, truth, to the point where some people just simply say he's other. He's, he's just... He's just exalted and beyond us. The word of God says he lives in unapproachable light. 1 John chapter 1 says, In God, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That's a very difficult verse to translate from the Greek because the Greek stacks negatives over and over again to emphasize is basically saying he is light and in him there is no darkness, knee, not little, not even a little bitty smidgen, not at all, no. He's absolutely pure and holy and beyond us. And we serve this God. We seek to serve this God and 
And when Isaiah saw it, he was immediately smitten with a sense of God's exaltedness and his commonness and his unholiness, his sinfulness. It was a dreadful feeling that he had. He literally said, I'm undone. I'm a dead man walking. But I want to tell you, that's the best position a human being can be in, in relationship to the holiness of God. It's the healthiest position. It's the clearest position. It's the only proper position to be in, is to recognize how exalted and how holy he is. So you say, well, how do we, how do we function with that? How do, we, how do we live? How do we go forward if God's that way? Well, this is the thing we've got to keep in mind on this. And this is as remarkable and as astounding and as awesome as that truth is. God calls us to share in his holiness. First Peter, starting in verse 14 of chapter 1, 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Did you catch that? You be holy because I'm holy. In other words, God is saying, my holiness is not supposed to cause in you the response of alienating you from me or making you run away or think, oh no, well that's not for me, I, I don't want anything to do with that, God's holy and I'm just going to go do whatever. After all, he's holy and who am I? No, God is saying exactly the opposite. He's saying, since I'm holy, you too, my people, you be holy. I'm calling you to holiness. God, you know the word of God says God's commands are not burdensome because the one who is born of God has overcome the world. That we've been born again into a holy seed. And because of that, this is within our grasp. It seems Im impossible, incredible, but that's what he's saying. One of my favorite verses on this same thing is in John chapter 17 and verse 16. This is, this is Jesus praying for his disciples. He's not even talking to them. He's talking to the Father in their presence. And he says this. God the Son, praying to God the Father, says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of it. Now think, think of that one for a second. Jesus used to say to his disciples, Let this sink into your ears. Jesus said to the Father about you. He's not of the world, She's not of the world, Father, any more than I am. That's how, that's how God sees you. By the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that has cleansed you from all your sin. He has set you apart to where, as far as God the Father is concerned, you're his child walking around in a Jesus suit. And, and he counts you as holy, as other, as pure, 
is sanctified, is con consecrated unto him. That's his calling on your life. That's your identity as much as it's his identity. But we got to walk it out. We got to fill those shoes. We got to walk in those shoes. We got to walk according to that new identity and that new name that he's given to us. Let me share a little bit of history with you. Let me tell you a story. In December of the year 1900, there was a man named Charles Parham, and he was leading a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas. And he was about ready to travel. He was about ready to go on a trip. And his Bible school was meeting in a big house. And he told his Bible school students before he left, he said, I want you to study the Holy Spirit. And I want you to study about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And I want you to determine, I want you to study together, and I want you to determine by the time I get back, what is God's will for us today in relation to these gifts. And he got back the last week of December. And there was a, a young woman, she was about 30 years old, and her name was Agnes Osman. And Agnes was actually from a different part of the country, but... She had had some powerful experiences with the, with the Holy Spirit. And she had been healed. Um, she had traveled to different places, gone to different Bible schools, but God had led her to Topeka. And she became convinced that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as we've just read in the book of Acts, were for today. People didn't believe this. This is not that long ago relative to the history of the church, 2,000 years. It's not that long ago. And she became convinced, and she, she went up to Charles Parham, and she said, I want you to pray for me. Just like in the book of Acts, the apostles laid hands on people. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, and I want you to pray that for me. And he said, no, I, I'm not convinced about this yet. And so she bugged him for three days. And on January 1st, 1901, the first day of the first year of this of the 20th century he laid hands on her the holy spirit of god impacted her and she began to speak in other tongues she was so overwhelmed by the presence of god that she spoke in tongues for 3 days And from that encounter was born the modern-day renewal of the Pentecostal charismatic movement. If you read in the book of Acts and you read the writings of the, what we call the early church fathers, these are not just the apostles, these are the disciples of the apostles. They talk about this, that the early church, I want to tell you, everybody had it. Everybody flowed in it. The book of 1 Corinthians, a big part of it, is people flowed in it so much that they were out of control. Paul had to correct them. But they were flowing in these gifts. But for centuries, that well had dried up. But on the first day of the 
first week of the first month of the first year of the 20th century, a spark happened. And from that, the flame spread. And now there are tens of millions of Pentecostal charismatic Christians all over the world. And they're not just in one denomination. They're all across all these different movements. The, the churches that are growing, I'm telling you, the churches that are growing in the world, Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, those churches, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. All of them. It's a tremendous movement of God that was born. The 20th century has been a century of genocide. It's been a, it's been a century of the birth of the nuclear age. It's, it's been a century of chemical warfare. It's been a, a, a century of, of world wars. But it's also the century of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I'm chasing a rabbit here a little bit, but not too bad. At the outbreak of the 20th century, missionaries that went to Africa packed their belongings in coffins because they knew they were going to die on the field. Now Africa is a more Christian continent than North America. That's a statistical fact. And that's because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. This was a tremendous miracle and mile marker when this woman received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it started a movement. But I want to tell you, this is an important point. This movement didn't start like a lightning bolt out of the clear blue. Like every, everything was just going on and, and she was just a church girl and the people she was running with were just normal uh, business as usual churchgoers. They were not. In the late 19th century, the late 1800s, you had a number of different movements that were on fire for a hunger for God. Holiness people, we call them holiness people. A lot of them were Wesleyan in their background. We're talking about what we would call on fire evangelical Methodists. Some of them were Nazarene, some of them were Christian and Missionary Alliance, but these were different movements, and I want to tell you, their burning desire was to have an encounter with God. They were hungry for God, and they expressed that hunger in a quest, listen to me, saints, this is important, a quest for what they called sanctification. They wanted to be sanctified. They wanted to mortify the flesh. They didn't want anything to get between them and God. They, they agonized over sin. They repented earnestly. And they sought God. Ernest, Agnes Osmond, she literally went all over the country. She was from Minnesota, Wisconsin. She ended up in New York. She went back. Uh, to, to uh, uh, Chicago area there. She felt like she was supposed to go to Topeka. She believed God fervently for $5 to get a ticket, to get a train ticket so she could go to Topeka and there encounter the Holy Spirit. She was hungering and running after God. 
And, and she was one of many people who were what we would call part of a holiness culture. It was a holiness culture. Don't kid yourself. We'll say, well, that was then. This is now. I want to tell you. In the late 1800s, there were plenty of churches that were dead, that were lukewarm, that were jumping the rails, that were surrendering the true evangelical gospel for a social gospel, for a humanist gospel. That was going on too. So don't, don't just say, well, that was then and this is now and that's just the way the cookie crumbles. This was a group of people. This was a culture of church within the larger church. And these people were rabid for the things of God. They wanted God. To the Even if it cost them everything else, they wanted God. There was an emphasis on personal sanctification, and they wanted to avoid worldliness. Hey, listen, we sang, we sang earlier, I surrender all. I surrender all. What was one of the lines? It says, worldly pleasures... I forsake thee. Jesus, come and take me, take me now. That's holiness talk right there, saints. That's holiness talk straight out of that book. They didn't want anything to do with what they call worldliness. That's, that's, that's good Pentecostal talk right there, and it, I almost don't even hear it anymore. To talk about worldliness, oh my goodness. But I want to tell you, there's gold in them, their hills. There's truth in that talk. They, they, I'm telling you, they were careful how they dressed. They were careful what they put in their bodies. They were careful what, what entertainments they, they participated in, what places they would go, what people they would run with. They were careful. Why? Because they were snobs? No. That's always a slur that's thrown on the people of God. From the very beginning, hey, before the Christian church was born, the Romans were talking that way about the Jews. So don't, don't, don't let anybody intimidate you by that talk. That, is, that, is, that talk is thousands of years old. These, these people wanted to please God. And they were hungry by whatever means possible to please God. They did not want to be entangled with this world and with the gunk and the distractions and the wickedness of this world. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't do what they call frivolous things. They didn't go to movies. They were careful how they dressed. They were all these different things. And so I want to say a couple of characteristics very broadly of, of this movement. Number one, by and large, it was sincere. Mostly, it was sincere. The majority of the people involved, now God judges the heart, and it doesn't matter what movement's going on. When you get to, into a movement, there's always some people that aren't sincere. How many can say amen? That's true. This is it's always the way it is. But mostly, it was sincere. That's the first thing I want to say. And the second thing I want to say is there were excesses. There were excesses in that holiness movement. Accesses when it comes to this seeking of holiness. I want to tell you, um, human beings 
individuals and groups are, are, we're imperfect. Amen? We're imperfect. And even when we're trying to do what's best, even when we're sincere, sometimes we can be sincerely mistaken. And so what you had that came out of this movement was you had um, a lot of people in seeking to become sanctified, they emphasize things, as, as I heard one guy say, put, they put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Okay, they, 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 kind of, they kind of got off on some things, and they over-focused on externals, and um, that messed up really what, what, what was the point of the whole thing in the first place. So, so, so my comments about these two things, one, they were sincere, and two, they were excesses, my comments are also two. Number one, adjustments had to be made. Adjustments had to be made. When you think that your holiness and your sanctification is all tied up in how tight the bun is at the back of your head, right? To the point where it's pulling your temples back, you know. Or you're condemning ladies for cutting their hair or for wearing bright colors. See some ladies in white today. That's scandalous. Pretty scandalous. As if that has anything to do with the condition of our heart. That clouds things. Because it gets people derailed. It gets them focused on the external. Not only do you alienate genuine people who are seekers of God who come who happen to be wearing bright colors or happen to have cut their hair. Hey, man, you know, you get some guy walking in the back, back of the door. He says, I heard, I heard I can find Jesus here. You know, his teeth are stained. He's been chewing tobacco. You know, oh, he chews. He probably runs with girls that do, too. Immediately, cold shoulder. Oh, we don't associate with that type of person. That's all wrong. That's not only does that not get you sanctified, but that's actually an unholy attitude in and of itself. Right? That's that that's 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 not God sanctifying you. That's you trying to sanctify yourself, and we call that self-righteousness. And that's not good. That's what Jesus in, in Luke chapter 18 condemned the Pharisee for. The Pharisee was there praying, and he said, oh, God, thank you that I'm not like this dirty sinner at the back. So some adjustments needed to be made to refocus, right, to refocus. As we've said before, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? So some externals, you know, whether, you know, before it was like, man, you cannot even darken the door of a theater. You can't. I, I, I think I mentioned it before. Um, first Pentecostal church I was in, uh, requirements for membership, they hadn't changed in a long, long time. This was the mid-1980s, and they hadn't changed them in years. And I read the requirements for membership, and it said we couldn't play cards. I was like, wow, I guess I'm going to hell, you know, because I like euchre or whatever we are playing in the dorms at the time. You know, there's, there's these superficials. And so adjustments needed to be made on that. Adjustments needed to be made. But the second thing, second comment I want to make is this. Don't throw the baby out 
with the bathwater. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. As we're making the adjustments, don't adjust too far. Don't adjust too far. Because I want to tell you, there are some movies, talk about theaters for a second, there are some movies that if you do what the good guys do in the movie, forget about the bad guys. If you do what the good guys in that movie do, you'll go straight to hell. Can I get an amen? Thank you, all four of you. I'm telling you, there's just some stuff. There's some truth about those we run with. There's some truth about those we associate with. There's some truth about those we yoke ourselves together with. That's, that's about holiness, too. That's about holiness. We ought to be careful what we put in our bodies. We ought to be careful our intentions about how we relate to other people. So, I mean, as we're getting out of this ditch, let's not adjust so much that we go over in this other ditch over here. Amen? Right? I mean, there's, there's some issues here that we need to we need to deal. There were reasons for the Holy Spirit's outpouring on the, these people, the first people that received it and really birthed it for the whole world that many, many people would receive and that the God's grace would flow. And I'm not, ta- I'm not saying that God's grace isn't tremendous. God's grace is tremendous. A, a, a storefront mission church of the big church that I work with in Ecuador it was an outlying town, but just a storefront. It's like just a shop with a, one of those roll-up metal front doors. They're having Sunday service in there. I, no, as a matter of fact, I don't even think it was Sunday. I think it was a midweek. And they're playing loud music, and all this wonderful music is going on, and the people are all clapping. Some parts of Latin America, they call the, they call the Pentecostals tortilleras, because that's how you make a tortilla. Right? You take the... You take the you take the dough and you do this, and that's how you make your tortilla. And so all the people make fun of them because they're always clapping at the songs like they're making tortillas. So all the people are clapping, and this guy stumbles into the back of the church. He's blasted drunk out of his mind, but he's drawn by the music. He stumbles into the back of the church. He's standing there tottering, so full of liquor he can barely stand up straight. The Holy Spirit of God hits him. He goes cold sober, gets saved, and starts speaking in tongues. Before the preacher even gets up to preach. Now God's grace is great. Can I get an amen? Thank God. Thank God for his grace. Right? But this, the people as a movement that birthed this in. There were reasons for it. And we've got to be careful not to fall into the error that was running around even even at the time of the early church because Paul had to deal with people. He had to deal with them at Corinth. He had to deal with them at, at Colossae. The Apostle John had to deal with them when he wrote the book of Revelation. People who thought... People who thought, well, Jesus loves me, and, and God's Holy Spirit is within, within me, and I'm holy on the inside, so it really doesn't matter what I do with my body. I can do whatever with my body, and it won't affect God's love for me. Be careful. That's a, that's a heresy right there, as well as just flat being false. That's not true to the Scriptures. We should imitate the zeal 
and the hunger and the sincerity of the holiness people of over a hundred years ago so that we can receive the benefit. Even as we say, okay, we don't, we don't need to go into some of these external excesses. Because at the end of the day, it's mostly about God seeking us, right? And us responding to him. It's not about us earning the Holy Spirit of God. Go back to Acts, and you'll see in Acts chapter 3, this is the second great sermon that, that Peter preached, Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Again, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Here, the punchline is verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. How many want times of refreshing? You know what another word for that is? Revival. Revival. Revival is triggered. That's, that's not just history. That's Bible. That's scriptural truth. Revival is triggered when God's people repent. When God's people hunger after holiness. When God's people seek Him more than they seek their own. The other great truth here, go, to, go to, back to 1 Peter, but this time in, in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a holy nation. That's your identity. Just like the Holy Spirit, holiness is God's identity. God has imparted to us individually, but as a group, he's imparted to us holy identity. That's something to lay hold of. That's something tremendous to lay hold of. Hey, this is, this is the week of Independence Day. This is the week of the, the birth of our nation. I was, a few years ago, I was doing some uh, studies in my family and genealogical stuff, and my grandfather was involved in a group called Sons of the American Revolution. It's a national patriotic group, and, and uh, through that, I found some stuff out about my great, 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 great grandfather. He was a guy named Samuel Thomas. And he joined the Maryland militia 1776. And when the Declaration of Independence got signed and the shooting started, he recruited his son, Ellis Thomas. He's my great, 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 great grandfather. And the two of them, along with a whole bunch of Marylanders, marched off and they helped fight in Manhattan to defend against the British. That's pretty cool to have your ancestors join the revolution in the summer of 1776. I mean, that's something you want to put on your wall. That's pretty cool. But that's nothing compared to the identity that we have by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of patriots is one thing. The blood of our Savior is another. The blood of our Savior bought us and paid for us. And when we embrace that identity, if you want to say that national pride, but the, the holy nation national, 
the church national. We embrace that identity. We embrace it through repentance. God is able to move in us. God is able to move in us. I want to I go back to a passage that I mentioned at the beginning. And I want to ask Pastor Joseph to come. Isaiah, in his call, he says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. This is, this is an important point. This is an important point. I saw the Lord. If we're left to ourselves, we will not be, we will always be in one ditch or the other. If we're left to ourselves, we'll all either be legalistic and harsh with ourselves and condemning to others, or we'll be over here and we'll be all loosey-goosey and we'll treat grace like grease and we can just slide by with it and we'll be, we'll be, we'll be at one extreme or the other. It's seeing the Lord that gives us the balance. Listen, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God looked upon the criminal crucified next to Jesus. You know that criminal? People call him the good thief. He wasn't just a thief. He was a terrorist. That's what he was. He was a domestic terrorist. And that man looked at Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked back and said, you'll be with me today in paradise. That quick, his violence, his murder, his terrorism was swept away. That's holy. That's the holiness of our God. But keep this in mind. The same God struck Ananias and Sapphira dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. Same God. You say, man, I'm getting whiplash between these two. Which is it? See the Lord. See the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, draw near to him right now. Draw near to him right now. Draw near to him. Jesus, 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 Jesus. God, we want you. We want you, Jesus. We want you. Hallelujah. You know, I just want to encourage you. Let's, 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 let's come forward today. I wasn't thinking of doing this, but let's come forward today. If you can come forward today, let's gather up around the front. Hallelujah. If you, if you can't stand, you can be seated on the front. But I want to encourage us to come forward, draw near to the altar of God. Draw near to his presence. Hallelujah, Father, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We want to draw near. We want to come near. Hallelujah. You know the word of God says that if we'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. You know, it hits me when you read the history of our great nation. In times of crisis, how many presidents declared days of fasting and prayer. The President of the United States, can you imagine the President did that today? The president put out a we got a got an amber alert going on. Everybody needs to repent of their sins. Can you imagine? But you know what? That's part of the history of our nation. It's part of the culture of our nation. Our nation did that for centuries. How much more 
if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will turn and I will answer their prayers and I will heal their land. You know, I want God to heal America, but you know what? I want God to heal the church. I want God to heal the holy nation. Amen. Just draw near to the Lord right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God's not interested. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. He's not interested in just us making a show. What he wants is he wants to reveal himself to us. He wants us to be able to see him. And in his light, we'll see light. God, we come near to you right now. Father, as a people, we repent of our sins, oh God. We ask you to forgive us for being so complacent at times. God, so loose. God, so void of zeal. God, forgive us, Lord. Lord, as individuals and as a church, God, if we've offended you in any way, God, we ask you to forgive us. God, if we've done any injustice, violating your holy presence, God, we ask you to forgive us. And God, if any sin's been committed against us, God, we forgive that too. We forgive it. 